And here we are again, uh, the two jacks. It's episode nine. I think I said six last week. It's just happening so quickly that I've and I'm losing count. Not that I'm great at maths, but I am here with today with uh, Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. How are you? G'day, Jack. Now, uh, tell us what's going on in Hong Kong, COVID-wise. Well, the, the case numbers are about a thousand a day at the moment, which is mm. very high for Hong Kong. That's not zero. COVID, Jack? Well, we've moved on from zero COVID. We've got now we? got the dynamic zero COVID. <laughs> um, uh, uh, a lot of eye rolling around town. No one seems to quite know what it means. It, it, it rather struck me as like the new blue Omo, which is the old Omo with, with, with blue flecks in it. <laughs> but you know? it's dynamic. It's dynamic, yes. that's right. So policy-wise, there's no change, I gather, you know, in terms well, of... Well, yeah, things are starting to move. They've... They're no longer requiring people to go to Penny Bay um, for contact tracing, for, if you're a close contact, All right. because they're having to shift some patients, COVID patients. If you get COVID in Hong Kong, you get sent to hospital, mm. um, um, and they're filling up the spaces. So they're shifting. They're, they're sending some asymptomatic people out to Penny Bay to do oh, their God. time there. Yeah. Uh, and that means we're... Well, we're starting to move towards home um, uh, quarantine for home isolation for yeah. close contacts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all going to start moving very quickly, you know. Well, so you're getting basically getting existing facilities starting to overflow. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I've always, it- I've always said I'm happy to go and do my time um, in isolation um, when Penny Bay's full and all of that, and the airport thing's full, and I can. Happily go to the Mando for uh, for a week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds more, that sounds that sounds a lot better than Penny Bay, to be honest. Where well, the food Mando's is very, occasional, the electricity yeah. unreliable, uh, and if you've got a mobile phone on you, probably won't work. Yeah, well, the Mando's a very good hotel. I'd much prefer to be there. <laughs> All right, so uh, it looks like zero COVID uh, is. Uh, a bit of a fantasy like we thought it was with Omicron. Uh, wrote a bit about this in, in the Australian Today, uh, looking at Hong Kong and Western Australia, where you really do have this sense that uh, it's you're just kicking it down the road, uh, leaving a problem for another day. Um, well, well, we're certainly going to test the limits of zero COVID here, I think. Yeah, it looks like a 1,000 thousand per day. I mean, that probably takes you up to maybe about 20,000 cases in total since the pandemic began in Hong Kong, yeah, I'm guessing. About that. Yep. Yeah, about 20,000. Well, look, I'll tell but you they're, what, But you, they're doing that many a day in New South Wales. New oh, South no, Wales. I was just going to say, New South Wales, we'd do that before lunch. And New South Wales is about the same population as Hong Kong. So, mm, um, yeah. uh, you know, when, when we get up to those kind of numbers... Um, uh, it's hard to see how their existing arrangements can can, can hold. And, and while those and while those problems exist, you know, in New South Wales, and they're not and they're not without particular difficulties and, and a lot of uh, serious illness and deaths and so forth. You know, the, the sky hasn't fallen in, and uh, and people are going about their business pretty well. Meanwhile, in Canberra, well, there's lots going on there, um, but just over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, 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 Scott Morrison was made aware uh, uh, in questions about text messages sent about him. One uh, from a, a senior member of the uh, of, of the Morrison cabinet in conversation with Gladys Berejiklian, uh, <coughs> where uh, Gladys said he was 
not a very nice man. Scott Morrison, not a very nice man. And uh, this apparent senior member of the cabinet said he was a bit of a psycho, Jack. Is that basically a, uh, a vote of no confidence in the in the Prime Minister? Well, it's the thing that struck me about it was that having cabinet ministers, fellow cabinet members, have that opinion about you is just par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, is, this has been going on forever, you know. Um, uh, generally in politics, your most virulent enemies are on your own, your own party, not on the, not on the opposition. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to the Hawke days, uh, uh, Paul Keating referred to Bob Hawke, your uh, pick as uh, our, our greatest Prime Minister in living memory anyway, uh, it was old Jellyback, wasn't he? He was. He was indeed known as old Jellyback to, to Paul Key. Um, and it goes on. There was the uh, yeah. the famous telephone conversation, uh, Jeff Kennett and um, uh, and Andrew Peacock. Um, not not uh, safe for children's ears, yeah, by the way, know, that uh, when, when, when John Howard was the leader of the opposition, you know, um, uh, and, and I believe Jeff Kennett raised this this morning at Andrew Peacock's um, uh, memorial and, and noted that Andrew was complaining a couple of days later that... Uh, uh, that they were both on the telephone call and Andrew lost his job and Jeff didn't. Yeah, well, <laughs> and Jeff was probably probably the biggest offender. He was easily the biggest offender. Yeah. Obscenities <laughs> thick in the air. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, he lit And, and, he and lit some fairly derogatory views about um, the leader of the opposition. He was. John Howard at that stage was the leader of the opposition and, of course, his Attorney General also referred to him as, well, he always denied um, 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 but uh, he, he, that lying rodent. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but this is a bipartisan thing. If you go yeah. back to what the um, Rudd, Kevin Rudd's cabinet, cabinet members finally fessed yeah. up, they thought about him um, uh, um, some years after they deposed him. Um, oh, yeah. Parental advisories uh, yeah. uh, required around the, 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 ex- the communications around uh, Labor members of Parliament and what they thought of Kevin Rudd. Well, better be careful. I suppose the one who would be better be careful because Kevin, Jesus Christ, he listens to, I think he's got some sort of Google search uh, function where whatever his name is mentioned, uh, he'll go and check it out and see if it's worth sending off an angry letter. God well, knows, I've apologised to him too many times already. Perhaps we just better be safe and say some of them didn't like him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the benchmark for this really uh, was Billy McMahon, who, <clears throat> if we uh, if we go back that far, probably the most despised prime minister uh, in, uh, within his own ranks uh, of all of them, oh, certainly and, in and, living and memory. Generally thought to be Australia's worst prime minister. Generally thought. There's a fantastic book uh, which uh, I'd, I'd recommend to listeners called Tiberius with a Telephone. Uh, and look, I'll pop some of that. I'll pop up the details on that. It's a terrific book written by a, a great, a great a fellow who deeply researched uh, Billy McMahon and and uh, and had a look at him. But this is Paul Haslake, a very, very witty uh, fellow. Uh, Jack, who became Governor General, of course, uh, he'd been uh, uh, a senior member of uh, of uh, the Liberal government going back well into the Menzies years. And this is what he had to say on Bill McMahon. I confess to a dislike of McMahon, he wrote uh, in 1968, 
And then later he said he was disloyal, devious, dishonest, untrustworthy, petty, cowardly. All these adjectives have been weighed by me and I could not in truth modify or reduce any one of them in its application to McMahon. So 30 years later, he reflected on what he thought of uh, McMahon and uh, couldn't come up with a change of mind. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and they were cabinet colleagues for a dozen or more years. Yeah, so, so there you go. So uh, the thing about the coverage of the text message, Bruha, um, uh, I, I found a little amusing is that none of the Canberra uh, journalists, the, uh, the political journalists, um, seem to raise the obvious point that this is common. Yeah. It, it's not just, that, not just that it's common. I mean, I guess the, you know, it's sort of a gotcha thing. Peter Van Elselen introduced it, you know, and they do it for kudos, of course. Hmm. Do it for kudos and viewer numbers to release these stories. And the timing of it was, well, um, yeah, fairly. Um, uh, I mean, look how long did he have that? Text he message? had his own problems, shall we say? Yeah, he does in fact have his own <laughs> problems, but I, I won't get into those right now. Yeah. But the, the the issue I'd probably say about this is that for political watchers, this means a lot. For everybody else, and that's ninety percent of the electorate at least, this is just a shrug of the shoulders. Um, and, because, and because people understand this is how the world works. They know that if they play in the same cricket or football team with somebody or netball team, there'll be people who don't like each other. Mm, mm, yeah, uh, and, and, and and I suppose might offer opinions on them that they don't necessarily believe, you know, that, that, that <laughs> they might just have a, have a heated moment with someone. But look, it's just, it's not going to affect the result of the election, let's put it that way. No. You know, there were some screaming headlines and and uh, and so forth last week, but really it's not going to affect the election. What it does, though, is is it doesn't allow Morrison to have that clear air to prosecute his government's achievements, whatever they are. Um, yeah, but that, that might be a good thing. Um, uh, yes, if it, whenever <laughs> he gets some clear air, he seems to make the situation worse. Yeah, he, 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 he tends to foul it up very, very quickly. Now, look, there's another story going on, Jack, and you know much more about this than, than I do. I'm very... A very innocent member of the media, but there are shenanigans at uh, at that uh, global news network known as CNN. Uh, don't tell me, don't tell me, people who work in media are actually shagging. Well, it seems that they are, and and, and the story first came to light when uh, the president of CNN resigned. The official reason for the resignation given was that he was having uh, a consensual relationship with a senior colleague. An affair. An affair. And he, mm-hmm. and he hadn't disclosed that. Um, uh, and this seemed to me, you know, losing your job as president of the company seemed to me a bit heavy-handed. But then it emerged that CNN became aware or became officially aware when they were questioning the president um, with regard to the Chris Cuomo um, uh, resignation or dismissal. Yeah, so Chris, just to explain to some of our listeners, Chris Cuomo, uh, very heavy Fred, uh, Democrat, uh, name that one. Um, his, yes. brother, his brother was the governor. Yeah. Um, his father was a governor before that. Yes, that's right. Um, a good Italian-American stock from, from New York. Yeah, um, um, and Chris is, uh, shall we say, a, a CNN uh, commentator. He, he was, yes. Yeah, he was, and, yeah. and he had his brother on every uh, uh, every week um, to talk <laughs> during the COVID thing, and it was a, 
a lot of brotherly love and a little bit of light banter. Um, and then it emerged when Andrew's position as governor came under fire because of sexual harassment allegations, mm. that Chris was doubling up as a CNN commentator and as an advisor to his brother without having disclosed that to the network. So they yeah, punted him. That's pretty murky, isn't it? They, so they punted him. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Jake Tapper, a fellow um, uh, CNN uh, commentator, uh, he thinks the problem with the president going was all to do with Chris Cuomo, that he had, he had been disappointed in how much money he'd been offered and was behaving like a terrorist. So it looks very much like he's pulled the pin on the hand grenade and then just rolled it under the table in the boardroom. Yeah, and, and, and it gets better. What happens when good friends fall apart, Jack? <laughs> um, uh, um, Don Lemon, um, uh, I never, never worked out with Don Lemon or Don Lemon. Yeah, um, let's uh, go with, we'll, go, we'll go with Lemon. We'll go with Lemon. He's a bit of a Lemon. Anyway, he's, he, he and, he and um, Cuomo used to, Chris Cuomo used to claim that they were like brothers. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, there's a recording that shows... Um, uh, Lemon saying, how do we get past this perception that this is the bad guy winning? <laughs> <laughs> Referring to his former blood brother, uh, Chris Kramer. So um, it's it's all very amusing. Um, uh, but the, the best thing about the whole story, I think, is that despite this all this falling out and people getting sacked for having consensual affairs, the bloke who's still got his job it's the bloke who had a J. Arthur on a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, rubbing slang there for a masturbatory practice, for those who don't know. And so, Jeff, yes, Jeffrey Tubin, it actually became part of the lexicon for masturbation that you yeah. uh, were, when you were, when you were having a sly one off the wrist, you were Tubin, but only when you're, <laughs> when you are, well, only when you're on a Zoom call. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so too, but that was extremely uh, funny. And his I'm, return I'm all, was hilarious. I'm all, I'm all for forgiveness, but how do you keep your job after that? Yeah, really? look, uh, uh, his return to the airways was just hilarious. Yeah, the look, the look on the face of the, of the poor person who had to interview him and talk about it. Um, yeah, it was an awful mea culpa, you know. And, and, and then, look, you, you, would you shake his hand? Would you shake his hand afterwards? Well, the woman who was interviewing looked like she was definitely afraid she was going to catch something from being, a, <laughs> from being across the desk from him. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, uh, yeah, God, God love him. He's, he's back on the airwaves. All is forgiven. And it tells you that if you want to have one off the wrist during a Zoom call, probably nothing will happen to you if you're in media. Um yeah. More serious matters now, uh, now Jack, uh, over in the Ukraine. Uh, well, perhaps it wasn't that serious because uh, the French president has jumped on a burner and uh, and turned up at uh, turned up in Moscow for a bit of a chat with Vladimir. Uh, and I've got to say, the most impressive part of it all was the table. It was enormous, he, wasn't it? He the did get to speak at the same. He did get to speak at the big table, didn't he? You know, um, <laughs> it was a big table to the point where you'd have to use semaphore. You know, they were sitting at either end. You'd have to use semaphore to communicate. Very big table, very lavish. Um, it's like those cartoons you used to see of um, uh, of the Queen and Prince Philip at the other end of a mile long table having breakfast. You know, <laughs> it really it was a it was a big distance between the two. What happened when Macron came away was a, a bit controversial in that Macron said. 
that uh, that Putin had made uh, reference to a number of agreements, uh, international agreements in relation to, uh, well, uh, the state of play in the Caucasus that go back to, I think, 2007. Uh, and uh, and Macron said that uh, that Putin had acknowledged these uh, these uh, uh, treaties or agreements, and Putin said, oh, I don't, know, "Don't know what the man's talking about." So there yeah. were there seemed to be maybe there was a problem there with uh, with the translation. I don't know. Do you think um, Macron was over there to try and solve the problem, or was he doing a bit of? Um uh, domestic politics. Well, he, he, he does have an election coming up, which we're going to get to in in, in, in a little way. Um, uh, in a little in, in a little while. In fact, it's our next topic. So yeah, you would think Macron uh, is not popular at the moment. Uh, needed uh, needed to have a uh, a bit of a win, and I suppose it was a win. While there was some, clearly some misunderstandings and perhaps some misinterpretations of what had taken place. At least Putin did accept that there was, uh, I guess, the potential for a diplomatic solution. 